In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Very familiar readings, I think we've had. You heard Tony read from the Psalms and Luke's Gospel. Now, I wonder why these readings have been placed together. Can a psalm, the heavens declare the glory of God and so on, throw light on the gospel in which Jesus famously reads from Isaiah? Let's see. Psalm 19, it's an imaginative celebration of the wonder of the sky, the sun and everything, and the God that created it. Um, Jonathan Van Tam, I think, he of the vivid analogies would admire its figurative dash. And given that the psalm was written for the director of music, Jules, um, I, wonder, I wonder what tune might have suited this paean to the sun crossing the heavens. Any suggestions? I was thinking the sun has got his hat on, but <laughs> hip 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 hooray. It's cosmologically bonkers, of course, this psalm. Um, but we're in no position to condescend to the ancients, given that we use metaphor and imagery all the time. And sometimes as a substitute for deeper thought and hard truths in politics, science, medicine, and our own faith. Just listen as the weeks go by to the way people talk and the figurative speech that they use. And we talk, let's face it, about the sun coming up or going down. We humans are irredeemably self-centred. So let's enjoy this and other psalms and poetry everywhere and, I suppose, look for the poetry in our own lives. And then, just as the psalmist, King David apparently, has the heavens declare the glory of God, in the Gospel reading, Luke shows us Jesus declaring himself. But in contrast to the extravagant psalm, the Gospel is pretty plain narrative. No poetry, no imagery, but a narrative of hugely, a hugely significant event. Now at this point, where are we in Jesus's life? This moment when he comes on the scene, as it were, announcing himself to his fellow Galileans. The episode in the synagogue in Nazareth follows in the Luke account, Jesus's birth, his presentation of the temple, his seemingly precocious debates with learned folk in Jerusalem when he went AWOL, his time in the wilderness, his baptism by John, the baptizer, and as Tony's reading referenced, a preaching tour of Galilee. 
30 years run through in a couple of chapters. Accounts in the other Gospels tie in with this pretty well, um, though they often offer further particulars, including his recruitment of the first disciples and the wedding at Cana in Galilee that Tim talked us through a week ago. We can take it then that Jesus came back to Nazareth after how long away, we don't know, but came back with a reputation. Many of his listeners would have been familiar with him from his earlier life as Joseph's and Mary's boy. And he was also known because of, as we've heard, the teaching across Galilee. Whatever the case, after he had read from the prophet Isaiah and sat down, there seems to have been some expectation of him. The eyes of everyone were on him. More than usual? We don't know. Sitting down at this point was normal. When you were invited to read, you stood, read, and then sat and offered your reflections on what you had just read. However agog, though, that people were to hear Jesus, it's what followed that matters. Jesus said of Isaiah's words, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Excuse me? It's all very well for Isaiah to proclaim good news to the poor and so on. He was talking in the context of the Jews' return to, to Jerusalem from exile. I think it was the Persian exile, but there were so many. Um, and he was offering the hope that returning to the ways of God would surely bring. But Jesus saying this? Joseph's and Mary's son? Now. Isaiah's words served as an introduction to Jesus's thinking and his intentions. It was his manifesto. Nothing metaphysical, beating down Satan, etc. That was a battle he just fought in the wilderness. Instead, through these respected, well-known words, Jesus acknowledged or claimed that a duty was on him to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Isaiah's words still serve that purpose for us, introducing us to Jesus's ministry and to the man but they lack the bite that they would have had back then. Even though Luke goes on to tell us that Jesus falls into a row with some of his listeners, when he says the famous line that prophets are not recognized in their own country, you can read that on, it's further in the same chapter. I think this story, I think we find this a bit routine. The start of his ministry, 
Fair enough. Now let's get on with the miracles and the parables. But there is nothing bland here. In this beginning of Jesus's ministry is its ending. What Jesus is doing right from the start is daring, as risky in its way as, say, his later act of overturning the tables of the money changers in the temple. Maybe riskier. Good news to the poor, freedom for the prisoners, freeing the oppressed, sentiments to stir the minds of common people. But what about the powerful, the rich, those who had accommodated with the Roman occupying power, those who held the purse strings, those who had used the law to keep people in their place? Believe me, someone will have snitched, passed the word, whispered in the right ears, Tap their nose. Watch out for this one, not your usual Galilean. And as for the spirit of the Lord is upon me, you can hear it, can't you? Who is this man to say the spirit of the Lord is upon him? God hasn't okayed this, that with us. In this beginning is the ending. From this moment, and in everything he does, Jesus is challenging a jealously self-satisfied sclerotic elite and its hangers-on. Those who think themselves above and apart from the humdrum and the everyday. In everything he does. So as you hear or read other stories from Jesus' three years of ministry, Try and work out who he has in his sights. Sometimes it's someone right there in front of him. At other times he is offering a critique, implicit maybe, but a critique of an authority or a vested interest. He heals a leper or a blind beggar. What were you doing, he implies of those who get chippy at his intervention. What have you been doing? This is no gentle Jesus, meek and mild. This is Jesus, the radical, the critical thinker. How then do we follow him? Amen.